This is Zach White, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. another episode of the first deal show so i'd love i want to welcome my guest zach white who is the founder of awaco a full-time coach by day and managing partner at a private equity group worth roughly seven million dollars welcome zach caroline with a k what a pleasure to be with you today thanks so much for having me yeah of course i'm super excited because we're going to get into some really fun stuff here he's a different kind of guest that we have on today 402 so it's going to be very exciting now before we get into your first deal and how you kind of got into real estate i always love to start my guests off with their the kiss me segment so we're going to warm you up a little bit get to know you a little bit better the first question is what was the first album that you purchased First album, this is a funny story, but it was a Neil Diamond CD. I was oh my a, God. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't honestly even like Neil Diamond that much, if I'm being honest, Caroline, but I was in second grade. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to whatever the, the you know, audio, the electronic store was that sold CDs because our family bought our first CD player. And my dad, my dad took me out to buy my first CD, my first album, and I'm pretty sure he wanted to buy the Neil Diamond album and somehow convinced me that's what I wanted for my first album. But that I do remember that was the first album I ever owned, and I Aww, thought it was amazing. Oh, that's nice. I like that story. Um, great. So what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? I think, honestly, being in my mind, too busy doing mm. other things. You know, I was an engineer, career guy, really focused on building my career. And the idea of investing in real estate always made sense and sounded great, but it was not, it was not a priority. So I, I honestly would say, well, that's a big excuse. That was the thing that I would have pointed to the most, just focused mm. elsewhere. Yeah, I love the honesty. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, we, we have a tendency to say, I want to do X, Y, or Z, and then never actually go and do it, right? And so what is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? Ooh, new that I learned or did during the pandemic in particular. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest shift for me was going into CrossFit. <laughs> which is not like, you know, crazy. A lot of people do CrossFit, but I always told myself I was not one of those guys. You know, I'm not a CrossFit guy for whatever reason. Like I don't need to do Olympic lifting. I'm not into this. You know, I just want to stay fit. I want to stay in shape. It's about health for <laughs> yeah. me, not muscles. And, and then during, during COVID, I was like, no, nope, it's about <laughs> muscles. Let's go. Like, so, so I, I started CrossFit. That's been for me a fun thing and I don't talk about it much. So yeah, it's, it's hard. CrossFit is hard. Kudos to wow. all you CrossFitters who are in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do CrossFit, but I lift heavy weights and I can't even imagine they like run around and lift the weights and it's intense. 
Cool. And finally, what is your favorite quote? All limitations are self-imposed. Oliver Wendell Holmes. That's deep. Let's just drop the mic and walk out right now. <laughs> Great. Okay. So Zach, now that you're kind of warmed up, you, we know you a little bit better, right? Feeling into it to tell us some, some kind of hard stuff here. We're talking about real estate. So where are you based and where do you invest currently? I am based in Southwest Michigan. I live in a small town called Benton Harbor. It's right along Lake Michigan. And, you know, myself and our partners in our private equity group invest mostly here regionally in Southwest Michigan, Berrien County, and, you know, have explored expanding regionally to other places. Probably the second most likely place that we look at is Nashville and surrounding areas in Tennessee. But for right now, all of our holdings in physical real estate are actually in Southwest Mm. Michigan. Yeah, that's great. You invest where you live. And I, I love that. Um, okay. So now that we know what you guys are, where you guys are at, what, uh, tell us a little bit about what is private equity? Yes. So, you know, my exposure to real estate is untraditional in the sense that I didn't go out and hunt for single family homes and, you know, write my check and get a, you know, work with a bank to get a mortgage for that first rent real estate, uh, rental property or whatever path, maybe a lot of people follow. I am a managing partner in a group that does private equity investing, and we own companies, we own real estate, we own other assets like cryptocurrency. Um, so it's it's a portfolio of things that we do, and so that was actually my first real exposure into the real estate world was joining this private equity group. So to answer your question, what is private equity? You know, private in the sense that it is not a publicly traded on the stock exchange type of company. So you have to be invited and have an opportunity to invest as a partner, whether you're a managing partner or a limited partner. And we look at that capital and make strategic decisions on where should we allocate it for the best returns you know, for the partners. Um, so again, we, we have a diversified approach to that. And our business in particular wants to find ways to create synergy between the different companies Mm. that we own. So if we're going to own a piece of real estate, we're asking ourselves, how can we get an outsized or a disproportionate return on that real estate for, you know, our shareholders, our partners by leveraging the other companies that we own? So for example, we own an events company, you know, can we host events at that piece of real estate? So now we can actually provide income to our own property from one of our own companies, right? We get this synergy between the two. So private equity in its simplest form is people who have cash, but may not have time or know-how, who want to expose that cash to diversified investments. And they write checks. And then we, the managing partners, go invest that money and and do deals. That's the Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's super helpful for the 402 because some people might be listening and just have cash and don't necessarily want to get involved in the day-to-day operations of doing real estate. They want to be in it, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. They're like, oh, I don't know. I like what I do and I want to stay doing what I do. So let's not buy a short-term rental or buy a single family home and doing all this stuff. Um, totally. So, 
you know, to kind of piggyback off of that, right? Like you said invited, like you have to be invited to participate. And with syndication, when people are looking to get into big deals, there's two types of people, right? There's the 506B and 506C. So B for buddy. So if you know someone that's doing deals and you have a relationship with them, you can invest in their deals. But if you don't, um, you need to be an accredited investor. So those are the 506C people. And so do you guys differentiate or do you have like, tell us a little bit about that and how it works with private equity? Yeah, it's very similar in the sense that it depends on what type of deal you're structuring. And you're absolutely right. So if we want to go raise a fund, let, let's just imagine, Caroline, we want to you know, purchase some multi-unit situation. It's a $10 million property, and we believe it's a great fit for the portfolio. We want to go buy that property, and you know, maybe it's going to be financed whatever percent, we'll just say 80, 8 million financed and we need to raise $2 million in cash. So to have an opportunity to go be a part of us raising that 2 million, you know, you either to your point have to be associated with our group in some way as an, an existing limited partner to where we can accept your money into that fund or be an accredited investor. So we can you know, take that check. And there's, you know, the great part for me is we've got people who specialize on the legal side for this, who take care of that, you know, screening whose money we can take, how much of their money we want to take. Um, but certainly it helps to have a pre-existing relationship. So to your point, if, if a listener at this stage is not an accredited investor and wants to do those kinds of deals, start connecting with these people so that you can get that access. Um, there are ways to do it, but how the deal is structured, the legal entity of that deal and you know what type of partner you're a eligible to be certainly gets into the weeds <laughs> quickly, but um, don't rule yourself out. I think is the main thing. There are opportunities, you know, whether it's through, you know, trusts or through other vehicles where you can still get the exposure to it without having to be a five hundred six C accredited yeah. investor. And thanks for giving that word of encouragement to the listeners, because I think a lot of times when people hear, oh, I have to, you know, have a salary of this much or have this much in liquidity, they freak out. They're like, I can't do anything. But it's not the case, right? There's lots of opportunities to make money in real estate, not necessarily um, have to be an accredited investor. Um, great. So totally. now... You know, you talked a little, a little bit about uh, private equity and what you do. So we want to get to know you, right? So Zach, what is what was your non-traditional path in terms of getting into real estate and how did that look for you? It's as non-traditional as it gets, Caroline. So again, I started in engineering, got a degree in mechanical engineering from Purdue, went into my career at Whirlpool oh, Corporation. Oh, really? Like the... And um, what do they make? The washing machines and the yeah appliances. Yeah, yeah, washers, dryers, refrigerators, all that stuff. Yep. So worked there in engineering, and just put my head down, got to work. You know, I never even at the beginning considered myself remotely interested in real estate. Wait, wait, hold on. And then what, did what you first do there, like as an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all kinds of things, but. Uh, most of my career, I was in product development for either cooking products or clothes dryers. Those were the two I spent the okay. most time on. Is there anything? And had were all kinds of Were you proud of, of anything that you made? Like, oh, I did that. Oh, totally. All, all sorts of things. So I'll tell you one. There was a line of KitchenAid uh, products 
mm-hmm. for the kitchen that we released that had this really beautiful chrome inlay around the inside of the okay. oven door. And I was the guy who designed that entire oven door system. And it was, at first, we thought going to be a really easy product to execute. And then we ran into all kinds of problems in producing that chrome-plated component, um, just because it was this really big, thin, waffly, warped kind of thing. And we had to develop some completely new technologies for how to manufacture that part. And I solved that problem. And when it first launched and I saw it in, you know, the yeah. Lowe's store on display. I was like, <laughs> yes, like I did that. That's that so is cool. my thing. And um, yeah, it was just like a signature element of the KitchenAid brand aesthetic wow, for a long time. Wow, that's so. awesome. So I can yeah. say like, I know the guy that made something for KitchenAid on their oven doors. Like he's the one, Zach White. Yeah. I'm the one. That's <laughs> the guy. You. That's right. So for anybody who has KitchenAid, you know, appliances, hopefully you love them. If you don't, talk to somebody else. I don't work there anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was there working in engineering and and Caroline, you you're uh, you know, the 402 probably won't be surprised, but my first exposure to maybe I need to think about real estate was when my best friend and now business partner in private equity, Dave, gave me my first copy of mm. Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I am a Robert Kiyosaki, you know, uh, inductee. That was probably in 2009, maybe 2009 wow. timeframe. And I read that book and it really opened my eyes to the idea of passive income, financial freedom, getting out of the rat race, all of those things we, we talk about and dream about as investors. And, you know, real estate entered my mm-hmm. radar, but it's still, like I said at the beginning, which wasn't a priority. It's like, yeah, one one day when I have more money and more time and more everything, I'll get around to doing some real estate investing as part of my strategy. But in the meantime, I just want to build my career. And honestly, just stayed trapped in that place for a long time. And it wasn't until 2019, so a decade later, <laughs> that I actually had the cash and the courage <laughs> combined to you know, write my big check and join this private equity group and, you know, get into all of those projects, which included real estate deals um, much later in life. But, but yeah, I, I don't recommend listeners wait 10 years to get started. You certainly don't have to, but that was, that was yeah, my Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. And you see 402, like he read the book 10 years ago, right? So if you need the little push, like it doesn't hurt to reach out to someone and ask for help. Like, you anyone can get into this and can get started as soon as they finish reading Robert Kiyosaki's book. Like it's absolutely possible. <laughs> that's right. So that's awesome that's right. though. Um, I actually was also an inductee. Um, I when I was living in Florida, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book, and then that was the whole like, aha, I need to do this moment for me as well. Um, so tell yeah. us now, like once you get became a managing partner in the equity firm, like how did you, or what was the first deal that you guys had done that involved real estate? Cause I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So the first one that I got in involved with was a resort property that is in South Haven, Michigan. And, um, Dave and Bob had, you know, already been involved in this property in terms of, you know, the purchase and getting it into the portfolio. But there were a lot of questions about how do we increase you know, the, the profitability of that property 
because there were a variety of things. It was a little bit older, you know, hadn't been well kept by the previous owner in terms of you know, continuous upgrades. And anybody who owns hotel or you know resort type properties knows just the constant maintenance and and keeping things up to date and customers' expectations of what a, the experience is going to be like and. Um, even things as trivial as shifting to online bookings and better systems and pairing it up with Airbnb mm. and things like that. So, you know, my, my, uh, the fun, the parts that I love was getting into that strategic side of this. Like, it's not just, you know, do the deal, own all of it, but like, how are you actually going to improve in terms of the returns that you can get off of that property and getting creative and outside the box a little bit, you know, certainly, a a multi-unit situation or a hotel or resort situation is different than a single family home with the number of options yeah. available to you to do that. For us, things like hosting events on the property or, you know, doing music and special you know, food and bev things on the property. Uh, so, so those are all things that we really think about. Like, how do you drive that revenue up every season? You know, which, okay, in Michigan, we talk about seasons. We don't even operate the property in the winter because it's just so slow. Winter in Michigan, everybody goes in their cave and doesn't come back out. So it's not it's not profitable for us to to run the, the resort during the wintertime. But then summer, it's explosive. There's just so many people traveling, especially during COVID. It was like wow. even more so people in their sort of staycation mode. Not at the beginning when it was locked down, but once it was sort of open, it's like nobody wanted to go overseas, but they wanted to do something. So having a small resort in Michigan was, was great during that time, but, um, long winded answer to say, Caroline, you know, we, we got into that and said, what can we do to drive the margins and the revenue up at the same time so that our cash on cash returns on that property start to look really, mm. really good. Um, you know, rather than, you know, Hey, I'm cash flowing, you, you call it, I don't know, what, 100, 200 bucks a month on a single family home and you're just like trying to get there. Like, how do you do something completely step function different to where you're at that 100% cash on cash? Like, what would that look like? And when you ask big questions like that, it opens your mind up to different ways you might make that happen and think about it as not just a piece of real estate, mm. but as a business. Like, what can that business do for you beyond rental income? Yeah, so, um, you know, you... Did you mention that you had bought into it before you actually became part of it and started managing it? So the equity group owned the resort before I officially signed on as a, a equity partner. I was there when we purchased it because it just so happens, long story for another podcast, the, the, the CEO of the private equity group is my best friend, Dave. And so all the deals that they've done in the last decade, I've been peripherally involved in because I was there, you know, kind of, you can imagine like at the whiteboard talking through these deals and say, Hey, is this, what do we want to do here? How, how do the numbers look, et cetera. So I remember very vividly going through that purchase process mm -hmm. for the resort, uh, when we did buy it, but, but I wasn't an officially signed on. We at that time, I don't want to take undue credit mm -hmm. for that. So my money wasn't on the table when we purchased the resort. Uh, but I was able to then, you know, when I did become a partner, pick up, you know, a share, if you will, of that. Yeah, of that no, property. that's great. And I think, you know, with the resort space and um, people who are in commercial real estate, especially multifamily syndications, right? Like what you do in operations asset management are very similar in that they're trying to create uh, an experience, not exactly um, 
like a vacation type of experience, but a better experience for the tenant so that they're incentivized to want to live there longer and figuring out how can we make that a better place for people to stay where they stay longer and they're willing to pay a little bit more. Absolutely. And, and honestly, Caroline, it, it doesn't matter if it's a single family home or a multi-unit, you know, long-term rental situation or a resort. One of the things that I believe in wholeheartedly in this space that is a business principle that is often neglected in real estate is the power of moments. Mm -hmm. The power of moments. You don't have to be perfect all the time and you don't have to be five-star best in class in every dimension to win the hearts and minds of your tenants. Okay. What people remember are the peaks. They remember these little like wow moments. It's it's the the talk triggers. It's the thing that everybody's like, hey, I can't believe they did this one thing that was like really above and beyond, that was really unusual, really special. And it it catches their attention and it creates this sort of celebratory moment that you want to tweet about or tell your friends because it was unexpected and really cool. If you can just get a couple of those kinds of things going, people will, for one, refer and talk really positively about their experience because they have something mm -hmm. to talk about and they won't feel badly about paying that premium because again, psychologically they're, they're in that place of like, this is a really cool spot. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. There's a, there's a hotel property that has this red phone by the pool it's just like a very awkward you know almost like a phone booth okay. kind of situation and it doesn't even have anything marked on it it's just it's just like this weird out of place red telephone and it's not that nice of a property right we're talking you know the holiday and express <laughs> level properties right like not not even that nice okay but you if you go up to the phone and if mm -hmm. you pick up the phone the person on the other end of the phone is in the kitchen taking orders for ice cream and you, it's it's on the house. If you want an ice cream, you just tell the person on the other line, hey, I'll, I'll take a pistachio ice cream. And they bring out an ice cream for you on a tray and they bring it poolside to you and they give you this ice cream. And and that's all it is. It's just like a, it's an ice cream <laughs> okay. phone. Okay. That's it. So yeah. really random, right? But but guess, guess what? Every single person uh -huh. who goes there talks about <laughs> the ice cream phone. Right? And how much does it really cost to serve people ice cream by the pool? Like yeah. it's not that much. And then they can command this really high room rate relative to their like property competitors because they've created this referral engine and this talk trigger about the ice cream phone. So <laughs> you kind of take that and just let it inspire you. Like how could you do something, even if you're a single family home, first time, you know, real estate owner, like what could you do for that tenant? That would just be that one little ice cream phone wow. moment that they're like, gosh, my, my landlord did this amazing thing for me that I never would have expected. And then they tell all their friends. And then, you know, when you go to raise the rent, because interest <laughs> is ridiculous right now, you know, then they want to stay because they really love you. They love these experiences that they Wow. Have. Oh my goodness. 402. Zach has literally just dropped a golden nugget that I have never heard anyone in the space talk. I'm not even kidding. Like I'm so serious right now because you're right. You're absolutely right that these small moments are what people value because 
even for myself, like growing up, I was very frugal, but now I'm actively seeking out experiences. And so this phone thing is like, oh my God, I love ice cream. I can order ice cream and get it at the pool, like poolside. I want to go to this hotel, right? Like that's insane. But I see, I get it. You know, like as we grow older as adults, we don't have those same kind of new experiences as we did as a kid, right? Like when we learned something. So to have those moments, oh my, this is a game changer. I'm like trying to think the next time I want to buy an apartment, like this is the thing that we have to look out for. Like, I don't know, do something authentic. If you love to bake, bake cookies for your tenant and just take them once every quarter, you know? And it's that one little thing. What, what you're going to spend 20 bucks on flour and, and chocolate chips for your tenants. And then you're going to be able to raise the rent 50 bucks a month for the rest of their time. Like it, it pays back in spades if you'll just get creative and do something that uh, differentiates you from other people out there who honestly, let's face it, like most single family landlords who own one or two homes are just kind of lousy <laughs> at that being landlords. So yeah, it's not hard to differentiate. Get creative, do something, just wow, have fun with it. I love it. Okay. With that being said, um, what would you say is the one piece of advice? Like if you could go back in time to 2009, Zach, and yeah, <laughs> right. And you're like, okay, you just read Robert Kiyosaki's book. Like, what is something that you would tell yourself um, then that, like, based on what you know now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing, and it is hard, I'm not going to lie at all that this is, it's not easy advice to take, but I would definitely encourage people to take it to heart is don't ratchet up your lifestyle at the pace that your income grows. So, you know, as I got raises and promotions and things as an engineer, you know, I stayed, I saved money. Of course I had opportunities. I was good about running a surplus in my monthly budget, but I also enjoyed cranking that ratchet up on my lifestyle and my expense column grew as well. And if I had been more willing to just enjoy the life that I had earning $60,000 a year. And then when I got my, you know, paycheck up to 80, 90, 100, 120 and kept all of that to change the trajectory of my future, I'd be even further ahead today than I am. Um, I think it's good to treat yourself once in a while, but be careful about those fixed increments on the expense column going up, you know, buying the bigger house, buying the really fancy car, doing those things that, that crank up your lifestyle. Um, at the end of the day, they don't make you that much happier, but they slow the pace of that flywheel for passive income a lot. And, um, you know, I, I'm not regretful of the life that I live today. I'm pretty blessed. I got a lot of things, but I could be a lot further ahead if I had done that. So that'd be my advice. Don't don't feel so in a hurry to change your lifestyle. And then one day you're going to be way, way ahead. The, it's compounding that makes you wealthy. A hundred percent. I completely know where you're coming from because that's how I, my humble's beginning started is just being super frugal. And even though the income increases, not changing the way that I'm living right now. Um, great. So thank you so much, Zach, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me for a little bit. And I feel like I've gotten to know you 
a lot better, um, especially this whole fun thing that he's got going on. Like, what? You know, he's just this dude I met at a conference. Like, awesome. So um, if the 402 is interested, you know, in finding out more about you, what would be the best avenue to do that? Because I know that Zach has his own podcast too, guys. So you should check him out. Yeah, I mean, I would love if you're a podcast listener and you want to check something out. My podcast is called The Happy Engineer. You know, building your career, balancing your life and being happy is what we're all about. I would be so honored if you want to check out the show. You know, there's an engineer inside of all of us. And so you don't have to be an engineer and being an engineering career to get tons of value from what we're doing over there. So come check me out at The Happy Engineer. And if somebody wants to reach out to me directly, LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, look for Zach White on LinkedIn and can get that in the show notes, I would imagine, Caroline. So feel free to connect with me. I'd be more than happy to respond uh, to anybody's questions or get awesome. to know you better. Thank you so much, Zach. And that is all, folks. Okay. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.